The Guardian. This Guardian podcast was made possible by Squarespace, the all-in-one website maker with cover pages, a new feature that expresses your ideas with a bold single-page website. Try it at squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. to So Grow Repeat. I'm Alice Fowler and I'm the Guardian gardening columnist. And I'm Jane Perone and I'm the Guardian's gardening editor, which is very hard to say. Uh, welcome back if you've been listening to a previous episode of the show or if you're a new listener, hello. We're glad to have you with us. This week, we're going to be talking about one of our most iconic and favourite pieces of British wildlife, the hedgehog. Yeah, everybody loves a hedgehog. I would love to have a hedgehog. I'm just going to put it out there. I really want to be friends with a hedgehog, but I, to, you know, I've done everything in my garden I possibly can, and yet I never see a hedgehog. But I think you have a lot more luck, don't you? I have. I have had hedgehogs in my garden, and last summer uh, we did have a hedgehog rescue situation, um, which uh, I will tell you a bit more more about later. But yeah, I, I have had hedgehogs in my garden. I've had hedgehogs on my allotment. Uh, when I had an allotment, I had dug some drainage ditches because it was very, very um, swampy. And uh, I realised that I needed to leave them well alone when I discovered a hedgehog was using one of my drainage ditches, which is full of leaves for its little hibernation place. So that was pretty adorable. Um, The trouble with hedgehogs is we have a huge decline in their numbers in recent years to such a degree that many of us perhaps might not even have seen a hedgehog uh, at all in our gardens. So what can we do about this and what's the future for our prickly friends? I spoke to bird watcher extraordinaire, vice president of the Wildlife Trust and an all-round good egg, Bill Oddie. Um, Bill Tell me, what is it about the hedgehog that makes it such an iconic creature in terms of British wildlife? Well, I think basically it just has to be, you know, it's history, hasn't it? I mean, it's one of, there's some animals, let's face it, animals, birds, all sorts of things, which which are famous from books and films and so on and so forth, but nobody's ever seen them or hardly ever seen them, you know. I mean, it's all very well having a squirrel nutkin, but if you you don't live up in Scotland, you won't see him, you know, and all that sort of thing. Whereas hedgehogs, I think, have always been, Utterly endearing, because first of all, anybody's been near one and, you know, had its wait for it uncurl and snuffling that little wet nose, which is one of the most delightful things in nature. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and also had them in their garden and that sort of thing, and, and been close to them, and you feel privileged to have them there. They're a very, very endearing animal. I was hooked on them once, uh, uh, even as a kid, you know, we had an old sort of garden frame of some sort with, and the garden was a pretty, pretty much of a mess there, um, but I regularly would see hedgehogs, and then as the years went by, I saw less and less and less, and the irony is one of the signs that there were plenty around at one stage was the number of road kills, and of course that's almost diminished mm. alongside the number of moths on your windscreen. You know, you have to be a certain age to remember what it was like. You know, and I'm not being frivolous about that. That's actually true. I mean, hedgehogs, you just yeah, fine, you see them all the time somewhere. You know, and in your garden, it was it was just wonderful. 
Yeah. Do you do you see ever see hedgehogs in your garden these days? No, not at all. Yeah. I, it's absolutely true that it must be four or five years since I have seen a live hedgehog either in my garden, around my garden, out on Hampstead Heath, which I live next to, anywhere else in the whole of the country. You know, the only time I've seen them has been at rescue places. And, and there are some wonderful people, of course, uh, mm. rescuing hedgehogs and looking after them. You know. So what can we do to Well, first them? of all, I recommend <laughs> this particular um, event, as it were, which is Wild About Gardens. It's a combination of efforts from the RHS. I don't have to tell anybody listening what that stands <laughs> for. In fact, you can tell me. And the Wildlife <laughs> Trust whom I am uh, involved with all the time in one way or another, and um, Hedgehog Street, which is a new one on me, but that's lovely. So there's three. I love this cooperation. That's very important that these different organisations, whatever aspect of wildlife, get together and cooperate. And uh, that, that standard line I have to give, go to your website, which is wildaboutgardens.org.uk. And if you go there, you've masses of uh, things that you can do, the way to make your garden more hedgehog-friendly. Um, I hope, but I doubt, <laughs> there's information on how to slag off the people who live next door to you who have not made their gardens wildlife-friendly. <laughs> and yeah. I've got at least two of them in my street. <laughs> but at least the, what you can do is pop one of the leaflets. The leaflet is brilliant. I often see these leaflets from wildlife organisations and think, oh, I don't know, it looks like something that's fallen out of Radio Times, or it looks like, you know, sort of a kid's leaflet, something like that. But this is fantastic. It's got some marvellous information, some beautiful photographs as it happens. But it's, it's a proper grown-up information piece uh, and yet it is for all ages so I can't recommend that too highly That sounds great and I, I do find that people get very worried uh, about hedgehogs and I mean what do you do in at this time of year as hedgehogs yeah. are starting to hibernate if you see a hedgehog out and about in winter should you what should you do I mean should you be rushing it to the nearest vet or well it shouldn't be out and about yeah. that certainly is the case of course being hibernators it's sort of you know it's a sign that bonfire night is coming isn't it everybody mm. starts worrying about hedgehogs you know um, I have to say I have I have seen but I've very rarely seen a hedgehog in the middle of a bonfire and before it was lit you understand Mm. Um, but uh, it, it's the, it is that season where we start to worry about them. And it is a very delicate thing. If you get a hard winter, then in a way it's, it's safer for hibernating creatures. Obviously they, you know, they can wait till spring and they'll pop out then. But and what, what the, the dangerous thing is you get a warm, wet patch in winter and they're like, oh, it's spring, it's a bit wet, mm. but I think I'll go for a walk, you know. And that is when they can get in trouble. And um, so I, I, I think it would be right. So you could, you've got two alternatives, haven't you? One is pick it up delicately, shove it into some cover and hope it's okay in there. But there are organisations whether it's wildlife trusts or local hedgehog rescue and there's a hell of a lot i was at the some awards yesterday for people who've been working you know who work with rescue animals of one kind and another and there was this wonderful lady who i think i think is known as the local hedgehog woman you know and she takes in about two thousand hedgehogs every year and it's wonderful how those people will do that and take the animals in and make sure they're okay i mean i started a lot of um, my interest in the animals as well as birds by uh, knowing the people who started St. Diggy Winkle's Hedgehog um, Hospital 
which is now one of the biggest teaching hospitals for animals in, in the world, I think, actually. But I remember going there long ago. And uh, I'm hooked. I am hooked on this, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I th- as you say, it's one of those things where children uh, need to be understanding how to look after hedgehogs and, and, and ideally seeing them, but hopefully not seeing them squashed on the road or indeed out in the middle of winter. We actually had a hedgehog in our garden that was out in the blazing sunshine last summer and um, had to be rescued. And uh, so my children have seen a hedgehog, but I wonder how many children these days have will have seen one in very the flesh. Very few, very few, I'm sure, you know. Um, I, 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 once I think of it, one, one, one of the things we are trying to encourage, and particularly apposites to gardens, or rather garden fences, is to make a little hole, you know, it's like a, a cat flap without the flap, down low, down below, so that the hedgehogs can move from one garden into another and into another. Um, it's one of the amazing facts that, that hedgehogs do travel, you know, they mark them on little electronic tags and that sort of thing. They will travel something like a kilometre and a half, you know, two kilometres at night, every night, looking for food. But obviously, they suddenly come up against the brand new fence, which doesn't have a gap in it anywhere, like the one that my neighbours just put up. Um, <laughs> I shall be creeping out in the middle of the night with my saw and make a little hole. Um, but I'll have to put a notice on saying, this is for hedgehogs, not cats. <laughs> yes, well, that's indeed, in, indeed. <laughs> but it is an important piece, and it's a very nice thing to do. I personally like old hedges and, and old fences. You know, when they're beginning to rot a bit, and there are little holes in them. I love to leave that there and let the ivy grow over them. I completely agree. As you say, you need you need a little bit of you need a pile of dead leaves. You need a little bit of mess. Oh yeah, uh, and some hedges, and that and, and your hedgehog will be will be very grateful to you. Yes, we just hope he's out there. <laughs> yeah, we do, we hope so. Bill Oddie, thanks so much. It's a great pleasure. Thank you very much. So we're here in my garden which I'm hoping is fairly hedgehog-friendly. There's lots of kind of slightly wild areas, and I tie to garden organically, so I don't use a lot of things like slug pellets, which can be problematic for hedgehogs. Now, I have had a hedgehog in my garden in the past, but it's one of those things where you may not see it, even if you do have one. But I'm just today going to do something which hopefully will mean that hedgehogs can move in and out of my garden safely. Now, I have fences in my garden, but there is one fence in the corner which has partly rotted away. So that's one access point. The other access point is on the other side where there's an area that's been scooped out, I think by a hedgehog, uh, and used for climbing and clambering underneath to reach into my garden. Um, But what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to go and check that space and see if it needs clearing because occasionally it gets choked with uh, weeds or plants or uh, indeed leaves. And so I'm going to check today whether it needs a bit of a clear out. So Wolfie and I are going to go and have a look. I'm just going to have a swig of my sage tea. Delicious. And I'm now going to grab a tool or two. Right, Okay. this will do for the job. I'm going to stick on a pair of gloves and we shall face the rain. So to the pristine gardener, you probably would think that my garden was a bit of a mess, but it's a it's a happy mess. There's an area of the compost heap, uh, one of the, my compost heaps, which has got a big pile of uh, rotting wood next to it, uh, which is fronted by a nice little wild area with things like 
uh, nettles and docks and other things that cause gardeners to have a heart attack, which is nevertheless a quite nice territory for creatures to hibernate and hide. Let's go around to the fence and have a look and see what's going on. Right, here's the gap, and it has, yep, it's gone a bit closed up. I'm going to pull away this ivy a little bit and dig away some of the soil so that we can make sure that hedgehogs have free passage through the gap. They don't need a, a big space, about a CD-sized hole will be big enough for the average hedgehog to squeeze through. So I'm just pulling away some of the ivy that's grown over the hole to make sure that there's enough room for a hedgie to make access. And pushing aside the piles of soil, which are actually going conveniently onto a clematis, which can always do with a bit of extra mulch, so that's no bad thing. So now, hopefully, any hedgehogs that want to come into my garden or leave my garden, uh, if they're having a little, a little uh, wander around, will be able to do so. I also, uh, in the summertime, leave out trays of dog food occasionally, dry dog food, which is fine for hedgehogs to eat. And I definitely don't leave out milk and bread, which is the traditional hedgehog diet, but it's very bad for them. So that done, I think my hedgehog population will hopefully be happy. And I'm going to just finish off by scooping out some of the piles of leaves that have accumulated and putting them onto my beds in the corner to make another nice potential resting place for a hedgie should one emerge. And while I'm at it, I may partake of the very last of my autumn raspberries, which are just coming to an end, but still fantastic given that it's November. Thanks, Jane. Well, now we have joining us uh, a hedgehog addict. Uh, I'm not sure if he's an addict or a hedgehog enthusiast, perhaps I should say. Hedgehog enthusiast Hugh Warwick, who is here to talk to us about uh, these wonderful creatures. Um, I I would now pass over to my colleague Alice, but she's so engrossed in Hugh's book (laughs) that she's actually just not responding at all. Alice, what? Well, I was, you know, like being polite and having a kind of casual flick and I I managed to end up on the hedgehog porn section, um, which was something I never even knew existed. I don't know what... Describe to me. It's niche. What? what Well, uh, I don't know quite how to describe this picture in a kind of... species porn or hedgehogs doing things with other hedgehogs? It's niche. Um, I admit that, and, and I can I can explain. Uh, it's, it's quite justifiable. You see, a while ago, um, I was told by somebody that well, okay, how how do hedgehogs make love? Carefully. Thank you. Good. You see, carefully. That is actually how they do it: courtship ritual, very very lengthy process called the hedgehog carousel. However, I was then told that the only way that intercourse can happen is because the male is extremely well endowed. Hmm. So I thought. I'd better go and find that out. So I went through, I've got sheafs of paper all about hedgehogs, loads of books about hedgehogs, and I went through them all. Couldn't find any reference to hedgehog penis length. So in a matter of, in a moment of honest um, um, searching for inspiration, I googled (laughs) the the, the phrase um, hedgehog penis length. And um, well, anyway, I've learned a lot. Well, I, you know, I now I know something what new. I'm, I'm going to really go have. home and watch tonight um, <laughs> some hedgehog porn. Um, now, uh, what I can also tell about this book is that it's about all sorts of different kind of hedgehogs. So it's not just the native 
British hedgehog that is dear to your heart? You like all hedgehogs. Um, ah, I, I like hedgehogs, but I like I just like wildlife. I love wildlife, and hedgehogs are a fantastic analog. They're a great way of getting people interested and excited about wildlife because nearly. Pretty well every single person I've met, when they find out what I do, I spend my time writing books about hedgehogs and helping in hedgehog conservation, they go, oh, well, I had this moment when I was a... I remember when I was a kid. Oh, I, last week I saw a... That sort of thing mm. happens all the time. And the only person who I've ever had a complete blank with, I was at a party and I was introduced to this, this tall, rather austere Buddhist woman. And, um, and my friend said, oh, and you should talk to Hugh. He's fascinating. He writes books about hedgehogs. And Joe, really? Why? And I said, well, well, everyone's got a hedgehog story. And she looked at me and said, do they? And walked off. And about five minutes later, she ran back and said, I forgot about the transcendental hedgehog. And there's an entire bit of Buddhist teaching that she knew about, all about hedgehogs. So the thing is that they are a wonderful way of getting people to stop for a moment and start to look at what I think are the really important things in particular in your garden. I mean, my, my, my passion would be for the hedgehog population to stop decreasing because it's falling at a remarkably uh, depressing rate. And um, I mean, I'm asked regularly, what, you know, what do we need to do? And yes, of course, we could argue for a complete dismantling of industrial capitalism, um, which would help hedgehogs enormously, but it wouldn't necessarily fit in well with, with my iPhone. Um, so yeah, we have all sorts of contradictions there. So I can't sort out industrial agriculture. I can't sort out the infrastructure. I can't have fewer roads on uh, cars and all those sorts of things, which are having a massive impact. But I do argue long and hard to get people to look at their bit, which is their garden, and to make their gardens hedgehog friendly. But then more than that, because a hedgehog, I mean, you know what they look, everyone knows what they look like. They're small and snuffly. They only need a few gardens. But actually, a male hedgehog can have a home range of 32 hectares. Wow. Um, which is yeah, an 18-hole golf course. They can use that sort of amount of space quite easily. They need to be able to move between things. And the fragmentation of our landscape takes place in the countryside because we remove the hedges. It takes place in the countryside because we've got busy roads. And in suburbia, it takes place because we put up bloody great big fences. And we, so what we've done is launch a project called Hedgehog Street. Make your garden hedgehog friendly and gradually open up these gardens and create a, uh, an interconnected landscape for hedgehogs. And can it just be one hole? Because I've always thought, why on how does the hedgehog find this one hole in the hedge? It's a good question. Um, um, they are edge specialists. Okay. So, I mean, the, the, their natural habitat is the woodland edge, mm -hmm. which is, we create the hedge. It's perfect for them. Um, and so what they will do when they're in a space, they will go in a straight line to an edge, and then they'll walk around the edge until they find a way out. Wow. So, I mean, they, they, this is not a random thing about putting a hole in. They will go around the edges until they found a way out. So so it is just a kind of wayfinding thing. You just make a hole and then there needs to be another hole on your neighbours and so on and so forth. Until and they're you, happy as Larry. Until you've, 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 you've connected up to sort of you know, the hedgehog nirvana where they all right. are. And then they can flood back into suburbia. Right. But are there other reasons why we are seeing such hedgehog declines? One of the really big problems that hedgehogs have got is their relationship with the badger. Now, the badger is, is oh, I love the badger. I almost got a badger tattoo um, to accompany my hedgehog tattoo because then I'd have been able to say... Right, stop right there. We need to see this hedgehog tattoo right now, right? I can, I can... Uh, can we see the tattoo, I can please? show you my tattoo. It's a very, very small little hedgehog. Oh, oh I can see it already. That's kind of making me want a tattoo now. Yeah. Uh, for the first time ever. Well, you see, I, I, I did my hedgehog tattoo as my, part, my midlife crisis, my first and last ever <laughs> tattoo. And then I, was, I wrote another book, which ended up with me getting another tattoo. And I almost got a badger, because if I got a badger on my right leg, I could then say, and this, this is a very, very, very esoteric joke, which only um, ecologists will probably understand. But I could then say, I'm the only person you're ever going to meet with an asymmetric intraguild predatory relationship between their legs. 
<laughs> and um, the, the badger and the hedgehog have this thing, an asymmetric intra-guild predatory relationship. They're the same ecological guild. They eat the same food. Mm-hmm. The most, the, the, the predominant part of their diet for both species is, is worms and other macroinvertebrates. But there is far less of this stuff out in mm-hmm. the countryside. So that means their relationship has shifted from being one of competition to one of predation. And as much as I'm sure you've already fantasized about a small herd of hungry hedgehogs chasing a badger as it flees down a hedgerow, it's not that way around. So, I mean, badgers will eat hedgehogs, but there are those um, ecologically illiterate morons in some um, aspects of government who will jump up and down and go, yay, we've got an excuse to kill badgers uh, because we can save the hedgehog. And uh, no. Um, really, uh, um, um, you, you have to be really, really stupid to think that's the way forward. The point is, their relationship has shifted because of the lack of food in the environment. We need to have a richer environment where the badgers can live. The hedgehogs and badgers have been together in this country for the last 10,000 years, you know, since the ice retreated, and you need to be able to think um, in a more holistic manner. You know, these things are all connected. The way we manage the landscape has a massive impact on the way all life, uh, all our wildlife, manages to, to thrive or otherwise. But it's that anthropocentric view about yeah. why we should look after wildlife, yes. yeah. which is mm-hmm. so sickening. It's mm. like, oh, we should look after the hedgehog because they eat slugs. Well, no. Sometimes I really mm. want to wrap my message around a brick and start to hit people. Because, no, we should be loving mm. the wildlife in our gardens because it is in itself integrally important. We shouldn't need to justify it on the fact that it might provide some ecosystem mm-hmm. service. Yeah, ecosystem service is a word that needs to be kind of blown up. Do hedge- Apart from the sort of snuffling, do hedgehogs make any noises? Um, yes, they do, and I have. Um, well, there is. I have been been introduced to a singing hedgehog. This was when I was at the International Hedgehog Olympic Games in America, um, and there was one particularly amorous male who, when he got excited, would whistle in a really quite sweet bird-like manner. Um, but there is no. They, they, there is another noise I make, which is the courtship noise, which is a very sort of plosive noise. Going, <laughs> That's on the whole is the female hedgehog. Um, um, being circled by the male. The male's going round and around, trying to get behind her um, and to persuade her to relax. Because while she's all frowny, when a hedgehog frowns, the frown muscle pulls all the spines forward Mm. and up. Um, And so when she's frowning, nothing can happen. Um, And also, never mind the horrible things of mallards and stuff, with a female hedgehog, no means no. She frowns. It's over. So um, anyway, so the, the male hedgehog circling around behind the female hedgehog and trying to get around behind, trying to get her to relax, and she'll turn around and face him and go, <laughs> and he'll jump back and they'll carry on. It's called the hedgehog carousel. Go on for ages. And in 1991, the Guardian published the best headline that has ever been in any paper. It's called "Hedgehogs Cleared of Corn Circle Dementia." <laughs> I still have the physical cutting. It is an absolute work of art. I'm going to go into the archives after this and find that. Yeah. And, David uh, Icke <laughs> was at a conference of seriologists and somebody had seriously thought that because they create this little arena of flattened grass, yeah. that possibly mystical crop circles could have been made by hedgehogs. And then somebody else calculated that these crop circles would require 40,000 <laughs> hedgehogs working in synchrony and then thought it's more likely to be little green men. Oh, yeah, OK. <sighs> I've forgotten about crop circle mania. <laughs> Oh, that, that, that was nostalgic. A time, that was a special it? time. When cider yeah. was cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say that you have lots of nice neighbours and you can persuade them all to make a hole in your hedge and you find out there aren't any badgers and you put out Spike's gourmet food because you care that much and still no hedgehogs appear. Is there 
like do you just accept that you don't have hedgehogs in your neighborhood can you adopt a hedgehog can you there are wildlife rescue centers that will release hedgehogs which need to go back out into the wild if they've come from a place which is full of badges or by a busy road they want to release them somewhere else um also, how do you know you're not getting any hedgehogs in your garden? I mean, are you spending enough time out in your garden in a hammock at night with a gin and tonic? <laughs> um, but the, it, it, it's that, what's that, what's that film? The Field of Dreams. Build it and they will come. If you mm. don't, they can't. Right. But also, if you're doing it for the hedgehog, you're doing it for so much else, mm. not just the hedgehogs. Other wildlife will benefit from it too. And if you don't, they can't. But the main thing to do is to party, it, it's to communicate. It's not just a communication for ecosystems, but you need to talk to your neighbour to mm-hmm. do this. You need to spread the word wider because... We need to build an entire wave of people who care passionately about wildlife. Hedgehogs are a brilliant way of getting people to care passionately about wildlife. And so much so, we've actually got the Day of the Hedgehog. The 21st of November, we've got in Telford an entire day dedicated to celebrating the research that we've been doing, the conservation work that we've been doing, and bringing people together who care about wildlife and want to meet other people who care about wildlife and this wildlife takes the form of hedgehogs and it's a wonderful accessible way of doing it so yes i mean this is the sort of thing don't and also they're nocturnal they're not going to be coming out all the time they hibernate there's a whole chunk of the year you won't see them build it they may come mm-hmm. and if they don't come talk to your neighbor and then come along to the day of the hedgehog <laughs> uh, <laughs> hugh thank you very much <laughs> a pleasure and now it's time for plant, plant of, of the, the pod, pod. Echinacea. Native only to North America, Echinacea can be found primarily in dry upland prairies, often in rocky areas of the Great Plains, from California to Texas. Echinacea is a perennial and can grow up to 20 inches in height, producing large, purple, daisy-like flowers and leaves covered in coarse hair. The central cone of the flower is prominent and distinctive. There are nine species of Echinacea, four of which are used medicinally. However, E. purpurea has been studied the most and is the easiest to cultivate. The 18th century German botanist Konrad Munch named the genus Echinacea, which comes from the Greek echinos, meaning hedgehog, referring to the spiny round seed head which reminded him of a hedgehog. The species' name, Augustifolia, means narrowed-leaved. Native American tribes tell us they have used the plant to treat snake bites, fevers and stubborn wounds, as well as burns, swollen lymph nodes and insect bites. They also found that sucking on the root of the echinacea could help treat toothaches, sore throats, coughs and infections. Scientifically speaking, this was all a wise choice. Echinacea has been found to stimulate the production of leukocytes, the white blood cells that fight infection in the body. It also assists phagocytes in their job of engulfing toxins and preparing them for disposal. These immune fighters also remove damaged cells and any other irregularities in the blood. It has a mild antibiotic effect, helping to protect cells from invading pathogens. The plant both stimulates the propidin complement system, which helps the body control and prevent infections, and increases production of alpha and alpha-2 gamma globulins, which helps prevent infections. Early settlers soon adopted the plant's medicinal value from Native Americans and took it to Europe in the 17th century. Echinacea takes three to four years for the roots to reach harvestable size, although the flower heads are harvested yearly. The 
the plant takes two years to flower and become large and potent enough for harvest when grown from seed, but can flower the first year if you have a particularly long growing season or plant early indoors. Echinacea is an easy grower. Pick a moist, sunny spot with room to grow. They readily self-seed and will spread where you let it. Treat it well and it'll help you with the sniffles. And who'd have thought Echinacea was a derivative of hedgehog? And now it's time for Ask Alice. Go on, da, ask da, me. Da, now we have Peter Martin, who has a problem with a grapevine. All right. The problem is with an outdoor green grapevine in the garden. I don't know the variety, but it was because it was given to me some five or six years ago, but it has never produced a single grape. It is positioned against a fence facing west. We live on the north coast of Cornwall. The vine makes a lot of growth each year, produces some flowers, but nothing further. I prune it back fairly severely each year, but to no avail. Would look that there are big leaves and small leaves and coming from different um, shoots from the main, main stem. I, but I wonder if it's a pollination pr problem or whether I should prune the section producing non-typical vine leaves or whether I should cut my losses and take the thing out altogether. <laughs> Uh, well, it's uh, it sounds like a bit of a, a mystery, a bit of a, a five five or six years is a long time to go without any grapes. Which must be yeah, frustrating for you. Really. Alice, yeah. do you have any initial ideas? You know, you say you have two different types of leaves. Yeah, I was wondering whether whether it's been um, grafted on, and in fact, the 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 bottom half is in fact the one that's sort of taken over. And and the the, the the top bit I can't see a graft on there I must say but the the the, the ones I've cut right back the larger leaves are possibly the, the, the genuine uh, grape leaves I, I I've got no idea I've I've never grown uh, vine before and as it's outside in Cornwall it's fairly mild but it's pretty windy I'm just wondering whether wind might be a, a problem as well. I wonder, as you don't know the variety, whether you've got one of those Turkish or Greek ones which are specifically for having large leaves for making dolmas and stuff right, like that. Right, yeah, and yeah. I know that those ones don't produce a lot of grapes because they're they're right. there for these extra large leaves which you then blanch and you know stuff with rice and meat and whatnot. Yeah. And because there isn't two different types of leaves on uh on a grape. Yeah. But if you had one which had been grafted and it was one of those large-leafed ones for stuffing... Yeah. I think the moral of the story, Peter, is beware gardening friends bringing <laughs> gifts of plants. I think you're absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah. And beware vines that, that haven't got a... Uh, haven't got a, a label on them. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I suppose the other solution is that you you go to the garden centre and buy a named variety and try it somewhere else in the garden and see yeah. how it compares. Yeah, yeah, um, that might be it. But would that help with pollination as well? Possibly, if it was somewhere near. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't. It's not going to. It's not going to affect pollination in a in a negative way by no. any means. Yeah. Um, and uh, you you could concentrate on having it because the other thing about an unknown grape is that you can like i mean there's lots of varieties of grapes which you'd never want to eat no quite, quite. <laughs> so you well, could I, guarantee yourself something good i to used eat. to make wine but not not from grapes in fact but uh, so that was part of the plan uh, but uh, there we go there. maybe you should start stuffing vine leaves 
<laughs> they're really good. That's, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, no. They are really good, but they're also really hard work. That's yeah. my that's yeah. my tip on stuff. <laughs> it's really labour intensive stuffing vine leaves. I I think probably uh, yeah you might want to just uh, go into the trip to the garden centre possibly, um, okay. or see if you've got any. Uh, people of Greek origin living around you, you might want to come and harvest your vine leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and they can make you some doll marks. Yeah. Peter, yeah. thank you very much for okay. your call. Well, thank you. Thank Thanks. you. Bye-bye. Now, we know that lots of our listeners will have hedgehogs bimbling around their own gardens uh, or in the local vicinity. So we would really love it if you could email us, tweet us, or use the Guardian Witness app to send us photos of your garden, your hedgehogs, and uh, what's going on in your patch. You can email us on gardens at theguardian.com. That's gardens at theguardian.com. Our Twitter address is at Guardian Gardens. Or you can use the Guardian Witness app, which is available for download from all the usual app stores. We also have a Facebook page, which you can find by searching for Guardian Gardens. Please go and take a look. And we'll also be updating our blog with all of the relevant links from this week's episode. Well, that wraps it up for this week. Goodbye. Bye. See you next week. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. The Guardian gives you great independent journalism. Squarespace gives you the power to be independent on the web. Squarespace, the sponsor of this Guardian podcast, has Google Apps integration so you can create a beautiful website and get professional email branded to your web address. Entrepreneurship has never been easier. Try it at squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off.